Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Focus Group Podcast. I'm Sarah Longwell, publisher of The Bulwark, and today we are taking you to Nevada. Did I say it right? You did. I'm impressed. Okay. And look, I know what you're probably wondering. The whole political world right now is focused on South Carolina and whether Nikki Haley can make a dent in Donald Trump's lead in her home state. But there is a super weird contest going on in Nevada that much of the political world is overlooking. And I want to talk about it. The presidential contest in Nevada is just a complete mess because there are actually two contests. And this is going to happen before South Carolina. This is coming up on the 6th and the 8th. There is a primary, which is going to award zero delegates, and Donald Trump is not on the ballot for it. Then there's a caucus, which will award delegates, and Nikki Haley isn't on the ballot for that one. And Republicans can vote in both contests if they want. And Nevada also has a unique none of these candidates option on the primary ballot that a lot of Trump supporters are opting for. So got all that? Me neither. But my guest today can untangle all of that for us, and he can explain why Nevada is still important in this primary and going to be really important in November of 2024. John Ralston, CEO and editor of the Nevada Independent, and my favorite person to talk to about Nevada. John, thanks for coming back on. I think my pronunciation, like, got worse as I went on, didn't it? It did, but it's okay because you were talking about our super weirdness and that it's a super weird state. You're allowed to pronounce it in a super weird fashion, I guess. <laughs> so first of all, you're back on. I love having you on. Uh, nobody knows more about the state than you do. But one of my favorite things is that you have this like riff you do on Twitter where you always talk about the hashtag we matter state. But I got to ask you, do you matter this cycle? Do you matter right now? I'm not sure anybody's given you the love in this Republican primary. So tell me why you matter now. Well, I'm contractually obligated to always say we matter. However, it seems like because of all of the shenanigans that you just described quite accurately, we matter a little bit less, at least in the nominating process, which isn't as much of a mystery, right, as the general election is. And in the general election, of course, Sarah, we're still one of the half dozen, maybe seven or eight states that are, are really going to matter or presumably so in the Electoral College and the race to 270. But it's hard for me to say we matter a lot considering all the confusion that has been caused by the Republican Party here. So I'm going to let you explain to us what the heck is going on. But first, I just want to play a little bit of sound because one of the things to me that is a little bit of a rule about voters is they always know a lot less about the procedural stuff but not this group. This group like totally knew what was happening in Nevada. And I have been completely flummoxed by what it is. So let's listen to voters talk about why it is they do understand what's going on in the state right now. It's on the news constantly. They're constantly talking about it on the news. But the reality is, is that people don't take the time to really find out the details about it. They hear the gist about it, but half of them probably don't know the primaries this day, the caucuses this day. They just don't take the time to do it. And so when I know the strategy and reasoning behind it, however, when you think of it from the layman's perspective or someone who is not as involved in this, you may have disenfranchised some people from doing it because they don't understand the process. And the reality is, is they're not going to go out and figure it out. Well, we have a couple of generations, again, that cannot change your damn light bulb, does know simple basic questions, does know what's going on outside their little world, outside their little bubble. Mm -hmm. But getting back to the ballot, yeah, with Nikki Haley's name on top, Trump's not there. 
that's what happened to me. Where's Trump? And I immediately looked at it and find out what's going on. Oh, he's doing a caucus. I get it, understand it. But a lot of people do not have enough common sense to be able to look and understand and read and find out what's going on out there. I think Nikki Haley did not want to be in a caucus situation. She would have been on the losing side. When Trump chose the caucus because he gets the delegates, she didn't want to go up against it. She can claim, oh, I won in the primary, but the primary gets no delegates. It doesn't do anything for her beyond begging rights. I think it was kind of a coward move on her part and a brilliant move on his. All right. So here's the thing. So these are two-time Trump voters, right? So they are Republicans who care about voting in the Republican primary slash caucus. And they clearly understand the rules, but they don't think anybody else is going to understand what's going on. So tell us what's going on, John. Help us understand why is this happening like this? Well, uh, I will say I found it quite humorous during that uh, focus group, and I watched the whole thing. The second guy you heard speaking, I think his name was talking about how all these people don't know how to change a light bulb, et cetera. It's the same guy who thinks 2,000 mules is the gospel and is, is, is a documentary to be believed. So to some extent, we all live in our own little bubble, right, Sarah? But they really live in their bubble. But I was as surprised as you were that they seemed to understand and that they had the, the, the right entity to blame for the confusion which is the state Republican Party. I thought they would have taken the line that it's the Democrats or us evil folks in the media. But the, the other guy who spoke is right. All of the media here has tried to explain this to, to folks to try to clear up the confusion. So this all started in 2021. Our legislature meets every other year, one led by the late Harry Reid. The, the Democratic-controlled legislature decided to change from a caucus, which we had long been, to a primary, mainly after the nightmare that had happened in, in Iowa uh, in the previous cycle, and also because they thought it would help Nevada in its bid to become first in this current cycle. It didn't quite work out because the president wanted to repay South Carolina, but, but we did move up uh, to second. So that was bipartisan, by the way. There were a handful of Republicans in each house, and there's only a handful of Republicans in the Nevada legislature these days who voted for it, understood the logic. In fact, the current chairman of the state Republican Party back in 2015 was part of an effort, unsuccessful back then, to change us from a caucus to a primary state. Why? Because there's more participation in a primary. But at some point, a light bulb went off. In, in the state Republican Party headquarters, probably turned on, if I could continue the bad metaphor, by the Trump campaign saying everyone's going to get a ballot. It's a universal mail ballot state. Now, who knows what's going to happen? Can't you control this for us? Can't you do a caucus? That law that was passed, Sarah, allowed the parties to decide how to apportion their delegates by whatever method they wanted. But they didn't just decide to hold a caucus. They sued the state tried to stop the state from holding a Republican primary. They lost that. So then what they did is they essentially extorted the campaigns by saying, you need to pay us $55,000 to participate in the caucus. And not only that, but you can't be on the primary ballot if you participate in, in the caucus. So what happened immediately, I'm almost done, I promise, is that- No, this is good. Is that Vivek immediately said, I'm in, I'm in for the caucus. This is the right thing to do. DeSantis said, I'm, I'm going to be in the caucus as well. 
And then Trump, of course. And by the way, Michael McDonald, who I mentioned is the state chairman, is a total Trumpophile. They go way back. And so was the whole state party. So he was in the tank for Trump. Everyone saw what was going on. And by the time the deadline came up, Nikki Haley's folks essentially said, well, it's not worth doing this. It's going to be fixed for Trump, which, by the way, DeSantis realized a little bit too late and never backed down, was actually quoted as saying it was fixed for Trump. So Haley filed in the primary, uh, along with a couple of other uh, candidates, I believe Mike Pence and Tim Scott, when they were in the race, also filed for the primary. And so now we have this situation where Republican voters are confused. A lot of people are already voting in the primary, which isn't until the 6th, but we have a week of early voting before that. And so tens of thousands of Republicans have voted by mail and in person. And so they're so worried now, the Trump folks and the state party, that they're urging people to vote for none of the above, which you mentioned earlier, is on the ballot in the primary, but not the caucus, because you wouldn't want Trump to be embarrassed by having to see people not voting for him. Uh, and so they're, they're running a campaign so Haley won't win and that none of the above will win. I doubt that's going to happen, but it's possible. This is the wildest thing I've ever heard of. Part of what's funny about it to me is the idea of like Tim Scott, Nikki Haley, and Mike Pence. It's actually a perfect metaphor for what's happening in the Republican Party. It's like there's a fake primary over here with fake Republican candidates that like the majority of the party doesn't want. And then there's like a caucus over here for what is like Trump, DeSantis, and Vivek, which is basically what 85% of the party wants. And so like that's the real Republican primary. And that's the one that awards delegates. Like why would you do the primary when there's no chance of getting any delegates. So I, I think there is an answer to that, actually. And, and I talked to a lot of smart Republican operatives here at, at, at the time that this happened. Nevada only has 26 delegates, right? So you need 1,215, I believe, to get the nomination. So it's a very small number of delegates at stake. And you know how crazy it is how we in the media cover presidential races. It's if you win Iowa, that that's great. You've got momentum. And then if you win New Hampshire, you get it. And so it's all about momentum and media coverage. If yeah. Nikki Haley were smart, she would have realized, look, I'm, I'm probably going to be, be in big trouble in South Carolina after my showing in, in New Hampshire, but I can get some momentum out of Nevada by making a big deal out of this primary. There's going to be a headline, Sarah, on the night of February 6th, It'll be going across all the cable networks. It'll say Haley wins Nevada primary. Now, which but, is two days before the caucus, by the which way. Which is two days. It's two days before the caucus. Instead, she has taken swipes at Nevada, said it's not a fair process, which of course is true. And so if she had had any organization at all here, she could have prevented none of the above from potentially putting up a good showing. She gets some momentum out of Nevada going to South Carolina. And by the way, and I have been doing this a lot on social media just because I'm a, a sadist at heart. I keep saying all these tens of thousands of Republicans are voting and poor Donald Trump doesn't have one vote. He doesn't have a vote. There's no right in possibility. He's not getting votes. And, you know, it's got to be driving Trump crazy that, that Haley's going to get this headline. So everyone says it doesn't count. Uh, uh, it could have counted for something for Haley, I think. Whether it will or not, uh, it doesn't look like it now. But I don't think the delegates are nearly as important in the early states as getting momentum, getting the media to say that you're still in the, in the race. Super Tuesday is when like half the delegates 
are, are given out. So it doesn't really matter unless you really believe there's going to be a contested convention getting Nevada's 26 delegates. John, this is why I love talking to you, because of course Nikki Haley should have done this play. Of course she should have put an effort into Nikki Haley wins the primary. You're right. It's two days before the actual caucus. She could have gotten a bunch of headlines that Nikki Haley wins the Republican primary. I mean, here's the thing. I literally do this for a living, and I am only really getting my head around what is happening in Nevada as I prep for this episode. I just knew something weird was happening. Right. And so that means no voters know that. And so, yeah, you're just getting the headlines that say Nikki Haley wins Republican primary in Nevada going into her home seat when you're right. Momentum is the only thing that matters. And part of it is right now she is in a battle for can she make it to Super Tuesday? Does she get enough money? Does she have enough donors saying, look, I want to see you play this thing out that they're willing to invest in her? And so to do that, she needs some good headlines. She needs some media cycles. That's all there is to play for. But she has no organization. But it's even more than what I said, I think, Sarah, because she could not only gotten that headline, she could have been here given a victory speech and said, don't pay attention to what's about to happen in two days. That's fixed for Trump by his allies. It's going to have very low turnout. It's not meaningful. I just got 80,000 votes or whatever. Trump's going to get, you know, a few thousand votes in a caucus. Who is the power here? I am. Let's go on to South Carolina. Uh, I, you know, no one's paying me to be Nikki Haley's consultant, but it seems obvious to me. You should be. Somebody should be listening to you. This is this makes so much sense to me. You know, people do not put enough of a premium on narratives. It's like these political pros, they seem to know it, but nobody fights for the narrative and the narrative's where it's at. In the early going, it's all about the narrative, right? No one's keeping a yeah. delegate count now because the delegate count doesn't look terrible for her now. The narrative is everything in the early states. And so I think they just made a real strategic mistake here. She's not going to win the whole thing. Like, who cares about the delegates? Like, she should be playing for, like, a better outcome, a more positive outcome, a, a going more of a distance with him. And so this seems like a perfect way to play that probably wouldn't have cost nearly as much money. And, you know, little organization, little effort. It's sort of like that's all she had to do. This is good stuff, John. This is good stuff. Okay. So I want to get to these, how these voters then, like they are making strategic choices about how they're going to vote. And I will say again, one of the other crazy things about this, they can vote in both. They can vote in both. So let's hear how people are strategically deciding whether and how they're going to vote. Obviously, I'm going to vote in the caucus because I'll be voting for Trump. But I am also since we get to do it, going to go for the primary voting to check none of the above. Because I think Trump made the right choice going for delegates, but I'm not going to give it away to Haley to say, I won the primary. If I can do anything to help get rid of that, I will. When I first saw that Trump was not on the ballot, I was like, hold on, what's going on? So I immediately Googled it like everybody else did, and I realized, oh, okay, they're going to hold a caucus. Okay, that makes sense. What gets me is that uh, on the ballot, it says the other candidates that are on there that I don't want, on the very bottom it says, or none of the above. Well, I'm going to click none of the above because Trump is not on there. Okay. So it's funny. Nikki Haley's team doesn't seem to understand the narrative win, but these Trump voters seem to understand the opportunity for a narrative win, and they are there to try and deny her that. So can you just explain the none of these candidates option? Like, why does Nevada have that? 
Because that's not a thing that happens in other places. And has that made a big difference in elections before? Tell us. So we have it because we're super weird to go back to your introduction. <laughs> and and it's, it's been around for a little under 50 years now, I believe, uh, in Nevada. It, it's problematic in that it has no teeth. In other words, even if none of the above were to win an election, that doesn't mean there's a new election. The second place finisher uh, gets it. It's never won a major election. However, the Democrats didn't put up a candidate for governor here in 2014. So it won. And then the second place finisher, who was a nobody, got crushed in the general election by the Republicans. By the way, I'm not going to go through that terrible strategic error by the Democrats. And they got crushed up and down the ticket in 2014 because they didn't put anybody up. But none of the above, you know, when they passed it, it was like, we need to let people have a place to vent. And 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 if they don't like either candidate. And, and so it has existed for a while. It never gets that big a percentage. And I mean, low single digits, Sarah, in major races. Very unusual for it to get more. It's going to get more in that primary. Whether this campaign that they're running proves viable or not, hard to tell. The governor, though, who has been a little bit all over the map on Trump in the past. He said during a debate during the, the governor's race, he was a sound president. Trump went nuts, threatened to withdraw his endorsement. Then he said he was a great president and the greatest president, but he hadn't really endorsed. And then he endorsed Trump a couple of weeks ago and said, I am going to vote caucus for Trump, but I'm going to vote in the primary too, because I want to keep my perfect voting record intact. I'm going to vote for none of the above. And so you get the highest elected Republican in the state. So I say, I'm doing this. Maybe others uh, will do it. They're not spending a lot of money in paid media or anything trying to convince people, but it's clearly sunk in. But what was interesting about that focus group, and this occurred to me beforehand might be a problem, is there was some apathy. In other words, why would I go vote in the primary or even send in a ballot if I'm not voting for anybody? Like, why just do that just to vote for none of the above? One other interesting thing that happened this week, and I don't know if you saw this, there is the Trump campaign actually accused the state government, the Democratic Secretary of State, of election interference because on the primary ballot, it says, warning, you can't vote more than once. As you mentioned, they can vote in the caucus as well. And they said, oh, they're trying to drive down the turnout, which, of course, is asinine. There is a state law that says you have to print on every sample ballot warning people that they can't do it. It's a standard template. And so they're trying to gin this up in any way that 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 they can. I have frankly no idea, and I don't say that very often, Sarah, how well this is going to work, none of the above. But it's hard for me to believe, uh, and a lot of these mail ballots were sent in before they started this campaign, that people are going to take the time to vote for none of the above. But if they do, if they do, and if it's a huge swamping of Nikki Haley, and that none of the above wins, then that'll be a great headline Trump, right? Yeah, you've literally made now a second very good case for why Nikki Haley should have thought about playing here. Not just because she could have claimed victory, but like, what does that do to her momentum to actively lose to none of the above in the primary process? Because that will also be a headline. Let me tell you what political reporters are starved for right now. And it is fun political stories. And like Nikki Haley losing to none of the above because Donald Trump People turned out just to vote against her. That is a bad headline for her, a bad news cycle. Because then now two days later, he gets the good headlines of winning the caucus. And then, well, I bet the next headlines are about how she's down 20 points in South Carolina. And she could have headed that off. That is a big strategic misstep. You are right. So 
you were talking about Joe Lombardo, the governor. And it's funny because the last time I had you on, I was just remembering this. I was telling you how some people in our office kind of called him a secret normie Republican, but he too has been forced to bend the knee in the most performative ways, including leading the none of the above charge uh, against Nikki Haley, which is so depressing for me that somebody like Lombardo, who I think probably wasn't deep down the biggest Trump fan, you know, finds himself being the main vessel for sort of leading the charge against his one, I'm not going to call her a viable opponent, but uh, the one opportunity to kind of take him on. It is. And you allude to this. It's emblematic of what's going on in the Republican Party right yes. now. You either, as you say, bend the knee or the base is going to come after you. Now, Lombardo's not even up uh, until 26, of course, because he just got elected. And he is more of a normie Republican, but it's even blander than that. You know, he was a sheriff, career cop, and he hadn't thought much about these issues. So, and he has these political consultants around him. And I don't think they wanted to be bothered by the, the pummeling from the Trump folks and all the rest of us. So they just, just do this. Let's just get, get it done, endorse the guy, and we can move on with the business of the state that they, they care more about, you know, not letting the Democrats get a supermajority in the legislature, rendering him irrelevant. And so let's play this game and let's move beyond it. But I don't believe that's who Joe Lombardo is. In fact, uh, Sarah, I, I don't want to belabor this if you want to go on to other no, things. No, you go ahead and belabor it. Okay. Lombardo, I interviewed Lombardo down at the Texas Tribune Festival a few months ago, and I asked him about the Trump stuff again, and he said essentially, and we did a story uh, on, on this, and people can look at the Nevada Independent site. Am I allowed to do shameless promos? And Please do. Okay. And, and he said, as a former law enforcement guy, uh, the indictments of Trump really gave him pause which is a natural thing for a sh former sheriff to say. And then suddenly that's all forgotten and, and, and he embraces it. And so to me, that kind of thing is depressing because I don't think his full-throated endorsement of Trump is who Joe Lombardo really is. But we can say that we can fill in the blank there with Republicans that you and I might have respect for, think are, are normies or, or, or whatever, but have bent the knee. And I, I bet it, it, it privately uh, Lombardo is not thrilled to have to have done. Yeah, I, I agree. So I want to hear from a couple of these, again, two-time Trump voters on the possible Trump second term. So I've been beating the drum in recent weeks. I had a piece in the New York Times. Uh, the former Trump officials need to speak out about what they saw while they worked with him and the dangerous ways that Trump would try to wield power if he held office again. But we asked these voters about, you know, his retribution rhetoric and the loyalty tests for the next Trump administration. And they were like a feature and not a bug for the voters that we talked to. Let's listen. What his team wasn't able to do was weed out a lot of those people that shouldn't have been there to begin with. And now he's had more time to see who are these people really and for his team to say, who are these people really? I think the vetting process this time will be far better than it was the first time. That's my hope anyway. I think the second time around, Trump gets in. Not that he's going to be walking on eggshells, but he's going to be uh, carrying a big stick behind him, just like uh, back in the day, as the old saying goes, walk lightly but carry a big stick. And uh, to take care of, uh, I shouldn't say take care of, but to, to pick his cabinet members more wisely where there is an actual male and where there's an actual female that's not portraying it to be something <laughs> else that they're not. Of course, I'm getting a little soft subject there, but I think this next time around, Trump gets in, it'll be better the second time around, close up the doggone borders, uh, release our energy 
underneath our feet. It's been documented so many times. We've got more oil underneath our feet in the continental U.S. than the Saudis do. And get back to be energy independent and be a strong nation. Become America again. Okay, I just want to say for the record that there was somebody laughing uh, in the group that has a laugh that sounds suspiciously similar to mine, but it is not me laughing. I was not laughing at, at any of those things. John, you said to me, you know, you're a little depressed after watching the focus group before the show. Did the Republican voters you listened to, the Trump voters, sound like, yeah, this is how people sound here in the state? Or were you kind of like, oh, man, it's worse than I thought? Like, what did you think when you heard these voters? Well, I found some of it probably too far to go use the word heartening, but some of them actually had thought certain things through. This is true to some extent on the left but it's different with Trump and his base. They're impervious to arguments that go counter to the narrative that they want to believe and they don't want to listen to anything else. But then there are, are, are those who, you know, you heard several references during those focus groups, Sleepy Joe, Sleepy Joe, and they like that, think that's funny, and they don't like Biden. And they think their, their lives are not as good under Biden as they were under Trump, but they can't put their finger on exactly what Biden has done to make their lives work. It's like the economy. And it was mentioned that we have the highest unemployment rate in the country, but it's still very low. You know, it's, it's around 5% now, I think. We were hard hit by COVID. People here got crushed, Sarah. The Las Vegas Strip, which controls the economy, shut down. Unemployment was 30%. People were really suffering. We have come back a lot. But this goes to the core problem that I think Biden has. And these are not swing voters, right? These are people who are all going to vote for Trump again, but even with uh, swing voters, it's the perception trumping reality, right? The reality is the economy has gotten much better, whether it's because of Biden or naturally it had to get much better. It doesn't matter, but people believe this. The, the one person talked about how you can't afford groceries anymore, things that are real to people. And then they extrapolate that to things are going badly because of Biden. And, you know, Biden's numbers are terrible. Uh, whether it's all self-inflicted or, or partly because people just believe that narrative, not, not, not worth having that discussion. It is what it is. There was just a poll that came out today and polls are, are worth not that much now to me that showed Biden is losing in all the swing states, including Nevada. Um, we're a long way from the election, but I guess when I watched that, to go back to your, to your original question, I was like a politician there answering all kinds of questions <laughs> except the one that you asked, <laughs> which, which is, that I, I wasn't that surprised, but you want to yell sometimes at, at these folks. They're not done, but they don't want to hear it anymore. They don't want to hear things that are different than what they, the validation culture that they are part of wants them to believe or has caused them to believe. Um, obviously, the point of having a focus group like that is not to argue with the people, but to see how they feel. But I felt that like as I was yelling through my computer screen, if they heard me, maybe they would listen to me. But that's just not happening. People aren't listening anymore. And Sarah, that's the scariest thing about what you do, what I do. We try to enlighten. We try to illuminate. We try to show people what's happening. And that's why, you know, your kind of plea in the New York Times, say something, tell people, you know, what you saw at, you know, at the revolution, so to speak. I, you can't get frustrated, right? Because of what we do, we believe in what we do. You can't say, I've done, I'm, I'm going to give up. I'm going to surrender. I never feel that way, but it can be frustrating. So sorry, I got up on my soapbox there a little yeah, bit. Yeah, that's okay. I mean, 
obviously, I do these groups to understand what do people hear? What is breaking through? And I think one of the reasons that I, I feel the need to sort of make these pleas for others to speak out is I think they are frustrated. You know, I think the John Kellys of the world, they feel like, but wait, I did say something and no one seems to care and it doesn't seem to break through. And I I feel like I, I spend a lot of time trying to argue to people about how much the rhythms of campaigns and communication has changed, that the idea of saying something in the Atlantic and expecting that like these voters that you're listening to in these focus groups are going to hear it is just unrealistic and that like you have to have a campaign mentality and really go directly to these voters and kind of in a relentless way for them to hear it. And I think my hope is that some of these folks who did see it up close will have out of a sense of the threat that they perceive to be real um, because they saw it, they will also find a sense of duty to try to make that a relentless campaign. And I know it is frustrating to feel like, wow, I'm, I'm sitting here telling you that I worked for the guy and it was the most dangerous thing I've ever seen and he's such a threat to America, but no one seems to be listening to me. I mean, I think it is, it's frustrating to a lot of people. One of the things I, I like about listening to voters, and I very much agree, I do not think uh, they're stupid. I think that they have lived experiences that are pretty far from the analysis that, you know, we get caught up in. And one of the things like in this group that I thought was was revealing, I was like, oh, I'd never thought about this, is how unbelievably irritated people in Nevada are about Californians. Like, you want to talk about invasion? They feel like they are being invaded by the Californians. Let's listen. There are large sections of Reno, like where our brewery is at that the homeless have just taken over. It's a constant problem as we're trying to keep our business going and we're trying to deal with this homeless issue. And we have this woke mayor from California that's for some reason the people elected. And she thinks it's funny. We're being invaded by people from California. And it's ironic to me that they leave their state because they don't like the taxes. They don't like the crime. They don't like living there, but they want to continue to persist creating the same policies in this state. So they're just trying to create another California. And I know that there are many people like me that are saying, we won't be here much longer. California. Everywhere I look when I'm out driving around doing my errands, I see a lot of California plates and or I see new Nevada plates. But you can tell from the California because the stickers or the trimmer on a license plate and they still drive like freaking idiots over here in Las Vegas. And again, it's been called Little California here. If you want to escape California, because the ship is sinking, all the rats are leaving the boat. Okay, don't bring your politics and your ideals and your ideology and all your BS, quite frankly, from California. Come here, squat in Las Vegas and destroy this city and this town, this state. Keep going. Even Texas put up signs, hey, you're passing through Texas, fine, but keep going. All my neighbors are from California. I mean, they're retired. All of them are, are from what I can tell, and talking to them, registered Republicans. They left for many of the reasons I feel most of us probably agree with or live by. And I don't know whether to thank them or not thank them. You know, I mean, the cost of my property continues to go up because they come here and pay cash. Okay, the big California invasion. So listen, so Nevada has been a swing state for a long time, like decades. But Republicans have struggled to win there. Uh, Barack Obama won it by six points in 2012. Trump lost it uh, by 2.4 percent in both 2016 and 2020. And one of the few bright spots for the Nevada GOP was the governor's race in 2022 with Lombardo, which we talked about. But the Republicans, they still coughed up that winnable Senate seat for Cortez Masto. So 
the supposed sort of California influx notwithstanding, and I want to know from you whether you think that it's true that it feels like little California there, but there's a lot of important demographic groups in Nevada, particularly Hispanics, who are moving toward the GOP. So why do you think that the Republican Party has struggled so much to win statewide, say for that governor's race? And do you think the Reed machine is breaking down, still creaking along? Tell me. So there's a lot in there to kind of break down. Let me address the California thing first, because some of it is real and some of it, again, to go on the, on the light motif of what we've been talking about is a narrative. For instance, the first voice there, you talk about the woke mayor that they have up in Reno from California. He's referring to Hillary Sheevy, who was born and raised in Reno. So this has become a stand in for anybody who seems a little bit progressive to that. But another one pointed out there's a counterweight to that. There are Californians who are, uh, for lack of a better uh, uh, verb, escaping the high tax environment of California to come to Nevada. They tend to be quite conservative and they have helped pull the state, I think, and you said some of the numbers there, slightly rightward. And you've seen a lot of uh, national studies that show demographically how that's changed and how the results of the elections have changed. And so uh, little California, there once was a legislator, by the way, a very conservative legislator, who introduced a bill to rename the state East California. <laughs> um, and that was 15 years ago, probably. The, this narrative has been around for a long time, and but it cuts both ways. The things that you mentioned, though, that I think are really salient for this election is Hispanics potentially moving towards the Republicans and whether the Reed machine is still around, can it do the job again? You know, it's interesting. One thing we haven't mentioned, and one of the reasons the Republicans have not done well here, is candidates still matter. And they lost that Senate race that they should have won, probably, because Adam Laxalt is an absolutely terrible candidate. I mean, you can use choice on the ballot if you're a Democrat, but very rarely do you have a Republican caught on tape saying Roe versus Wade was always a joke and have that played at 10,000 gross rating points for months, right? They, they put up terrible candidates in general. Lombardo, when they put him up and he barely won while Laxalt barely lost, the Republicans here in the state said, we got to change this dynamic. We got to find someone with a Southern Nevada, Las Vegas base, the sheriff down there, who looks like a governor, Lombardo looks like a governor, to cut into the Democratic margin in Clark County, which to get back to the string here is where the Hispanic vote is huge and where the Reed machine has been able to create what I've called for years, a firewall against what happens in the rest of the state. That is what happened. Lombardo was able to cut into the margin in Clark County of the Democratic governor, Steve Sislak. That's how he won the race. What's happening with Hispanics is a little uh, more complicated, I think. Uh, and you know this as well as anybody. No demographic group is monolithic, but it's especially true with Hispanics. There are some very conservative Catholic Hispanics and there, there, is, there is a misunderstanding, I think, by a lot of people, including political operatives, about what's really important to Hispanics. Oh, immigration must be the number one issue. It's not. The economy is. A lot of them believe what you heard some of those folks there say and what is pervasive that, you know, things have not improved. What have the Democrats done for me lately? Are they taking me for granted? There was polling, though, sir, I will, I will say early on in 2022, and maybe even into the summer, that showed Catherine Cortez Masto, who, by the way, is the first Latina ever elected to the U.S. Senate, 
lagging in the Hispanic vote. And Laxalt was claiming they were going to get close to 50% or at least into the 40s. By the end, this is a change that has occurred almost every election season in Nevada. Hispanics tend to make up their minds later than most voters. And so the efforts by the culinary union, by the Reed machine to get out for Catherine Cortez Masto paid off. And she ended up getting not quite the numbers that have been seen in the past, but better than what Biden got. But I still think it's problematic. And I still think they're worried about it. And you've had some prominent Hispanic voices, conservative uh, talk radio hosts who have, who have been spreading the message for Trump and for the Republicans. So I think that is problematic. And I think there was a clear-eyed Republican who just told me this morning, two months ago, I would have said this is still a lean Biden state. I think it might be lean Trump now. And this is not a person who loves Trump. And I wrote a piece that apparently, according to you, no one saw in the Atlantic. Not <laughs> no one. I read the Atlantic. So <laughs> I'm kidding. But well, in which I said, listen, I don't think Trump is ahead of here by double digits, but the Democrats here are worried about some of these demographic changes that, that, that have occurred. And they are. And so the Reed machine, despite the passing of Harry Reid uh, in 2021, still exists. The same people are running the Reed machine who were before. Uh, they know what they're doing. But now they have lost what has been a key feature for them uh, uh, every uh, presidential cycle, which is they had the governor. And the governor here has immense power. Lombardo is building his own machine with some very smart people. Can they compete? And so it's going to be very interesting to watch. The Senate race is going to govern some of that, too. Ooh, okay. So you you walked into my transition. So let's talk about the Senate race because there is a 2024 Senate race. And one of the main candidates on the Republican side is Jim Marchant, who came within two points of winning the Secretary of State job in 2022. He is a top-tier election denier, even saying all of Nevada's elected officials since 2006 have been installed by the deep state cabal. Okay, predictably, the Trump voters we talked to were not put off by that. They were even a bit sympathetic. Let's listen. I think they're entitled to their opinion, so it doesn't bother me at all. I would be looking at everything else that he says and does. I've seen some things with Nevada elections. We do absolutely have a lot of corruption here. There's no question. It's always been that way. It's the norm. It's how Nevada works. But if they want to deny it, let them deny it. What's the big deal? Look at what he could do or what he won't do. My wife works at these election booths, you know, with these pop-up tents you see in like in Lowe's parking lot or what have you. And she's seen time and time again, home caregivers will be wheeling in someone that's incontinent. They can't speak for themselves, what have you, but they'll roll them up to the booth and the home caregiver will tell them, okay, you pick this person. And you pick that person. I guess who they're picking, what that of person course. wants. And it's usually of course. A, a Democrat. And it's like, how can that be fair? The person's incontinent. The person can't think for him or herself. My wife told me that there's been many, many instances they see the same person over and over and over again within the same day or a group of people doing the same thing. I think there's a lot of questions about the last Senate campaign because I live in northern Nevada in Sparks outside of Reno. And, uh, you know, when I went to bed at one o'clock in the morning, it looked like the Republican had won the election. And then we wake up in the morning and they mysteriously counted a lot of ballots in Las Vegas that suddenly oh, yeah. turned the election over uh, to the current senator, who's a total piece of crap. I know that there were a lot of people that just said, 
How the hell does that happen? I mean, you know, Vegas, as big as they are, they can't count their votes as fast as other counties can. And again, they should have been able to. But it was amazing how the election flipped in a few hours, you know, and I think that led to a lot of skepticism. I know of a person who gets the ballots for his entire family. He has kids that are now over 18 and he votes all the ballots. Obviously, if I know of one person that does that, it's clear that anybody could do that or they could get them in an elderly home and they could get all the ballots together and vote. There's no security there. How do you know who's put their signature on that ballot? Even though they sign it, you don't know. If you go in person, it's tough to cheat. John Ralston, how corrupt is Nevada? Now you know why I was so depressed that they're watching. <laughs> that was the worst part of it. I mean, listen, Nevada's had a very good record in terms of running clean elections. But this issue of th- that people went to bed thinking the Republicans were ahead and then suddenly the Democrats did well. The reason that they did well was because of the mail ballots uh, that came in after Election Day. The law here which some people think needs to be changed now because of this conspiracy theories that have been started by by Trump and his enablers and others, uh, that they should just make sure everything is counted. The culinary ran a mail ballot campaign. The Reed machine ran a mail ballot campaign, and, and you, they come in several days afterwards. But the perception is, and by the way, Nevada does take a long time to count the ballots, and, and, and that has been frustrating for all those East Coast elitist media folks who just want to get the bed out, you know, finish counting. And I get all that as well. It's frustrating for us trying to cover it. But there's no evidence of widespread corruption. You know, first of all, I was not aware until I watched this focus group that if you were incontinent, that means you also have lost your ability to think and talk. But apparently that's what someone thinks in economies. And of course, people talk to their home health care workers and say, this is who I want to vote for. I'm not able to push the button because you please. All of that is nonsense. But again, this is the worst thing that happened in 2020. And I can't stop talking about it or thinking about it because it bothers me so much. It's the undermining of people's faith in the election. I mean, you've, still, you've seen the polls. 70 percent of Republicans think that the 2020 election was rigged. And, and you could sit down with each person and try to exert some uh, common sense and say, you understand the kind of conspiracy that will be needed to rig an election? How many people would have to be involved? Of course, there's fraud. Of course, things uh, fall through the cracks. But, you know, a father with four kids who are of voting age uh, and the kids are so apathetic, I don't care, say, Dad, you fill out my ballots. I don't care. That's not fraud. I mean, so... It's like a very imperfect civic duty, I would say. About, about that. The bottom line is, is that there's no evidence of widespread fraud in Nevada. They brought a bunch of cases here that, that were thrown out. And, and so it's frustrating. Again, I'm using that word, uh, Sarah, but I, I wasn't that surprised to hear some of the things that these folks were saying, even though they're easily disproven. But, you know, when people talk about the threat to democracy that's going on in this country. People say, oh, you're being melodramatic. And I have friends who say that too. But if people don't believe that their vote counts or they believe that there is some deep state or some kind of conspiracy changing your votes or not counting your votes, that's the end. Yeah. That is the end. And it's, you know, I've been doing this for, you know, 35 plus years. I've always believed in the system. And, I, and it's been frustrating to me as you see the alienation of voters from politicians and from government. But Trump took advantage of that, and then he brought it to its apex in 2020. 
But I don't blame him as much as I blame all of the folks who should have been leaders instead of enabling him, stood up and said, this is wrong. Even a guy like Joe Lombardo, even though he said Biden won the election, he should have been more forceful. And they have a responsibility to do that. And that is why this persists almost four years later, because of all these people who are afraid to actually say what they know to be true. All right. That is well said. So I'm going to add nothing to it. But before I close, I just want you to tell me. So Jim Marchant, you and I lamented his potential winning of the secretary of state race because he would have been in charge of counting your votes. But now he wants to run for Senate. So just give me your horse race analysis of his chances of being the nominee and then winning. First of all, let me just say real quickly, and you said it right before you played it, that every election that he has said since 2006 has been rigged uh, here in Nevada. Uh, He was elected to the assembly after 2006. Anyway, he's one of the worst conspiracy theorists. He's come up with so much nonsense. Um, uh, I think all he does is appear on Steve Bannon's show and they exchange nonsense. I thought there was a real um, danger for the Republicans of him winning that primary. I think so less now. He's raised no money. He hasn't done much. And so Sam Brown, who is the chosen candidate of national Republicans, is likely to win. I, I don't think it's impossible that Marshawn wins. But if Marshawn wins, by the way, Sarah, in, in an upset, the Republicans won't spend a dime here because he has no chance to win the general election. Uh, Jackie Rosen, who was the incumbent, her numbers aren't great, but she hasn't been around that long. She's not nearly as seasoned a, a politician as Catherine Cortez Masto was. So a legitimate candidate is going to have a chance against her. But it shows what the Reed machine has been able to do through the years in getting people into office, that the Republican bench for the U.S. Senate here was so thin that their dream candidate is a guy who barely has been in Nevada for a cup of coffee and has never won an election. This is who they're banking on. And this maybe is a good place to conclude. Maybe it is a state of affairs here in this purple state that he could win. Okay, well, that's a little depressing to end on, but I got to say, John Ralston, it is so fun to talk to you. I love it when people just like know so much about their place and you know the most. I learned so much in this conversation. I hope you guys did too. John Ralston, thank you so much for joining us. And thanks to all of you for listening to the Focus Group podcast. Remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to The Bulwark on YouTube. It helps us out a lot. We will see you next time.